Chapter Twenty Two of Gunsight Pass How Oil Came to the Cattle Country and Brought a New West by William McLeod Rain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Number Three Comes In. Joyce opened the door to the knock of the young men. At sight of them, her face lit. Oh, I'm so glad you've come, she cried, tears in her voice. She caught her hands together in a convulsive little gesture. Isn't it dreadful? I've been afraid all the time that something awful would happen, and now it has. Don't you worry, Miss Joyce, Bob told her cheerfully. We ain't going to let anything happen to your pa. We aim to get busy right away and run this thing down. Looks like a frame-up. If it is, you betcha we'll get at the truth. Will you? Can you? She turned to Dave in appeal. Eyes star-like in a face that was a white and shining oval in the semi-darkness. We'll try, he said simply. Something in the way he said it, in the quiet reticence of his promise, sent courage flowing to her heart. She had called on him once before, and he had answered splendidly and recklessly. Where's Mr. Crawford? asked Bob. He's in the sitting room. Come right in. Her father was sitting in a big chair, one leg thrown carelessly over the arm. He was smoking a cigar composedly. "'Come in, boys,' he called. "'Reckon you've heard that I'm a stage rustler and a murderer.' Joyce cried out at this, the wide, mobile mouth trembling. "'Just now, at the gusher,' said Bob. "'They didn't arrest you?' "'Not yet. They're watching the house. Sit down, and I'll tell it to you.' He had gone out to see a homesteader about doing some work for him. On the way he had met Johnson and Purdy near the bend, just before he had turned up a draw leading to the place in the hills owned by the man whom he wanted to see. Two hours had been spent riding to the little valley where the nester had built his corrals and his log house, and when Crawford arrived, neither he nor his wife was at home. He returned to the road without having met a soul since he had left it, and from there jogged on back to town. On the way he had fired twice at a rattlesnake. You never reached the bend then at all, said Dave. No, but I can't prove I didn't, the old cattleman looked at the end of his cigar thoughtfully. Nor can't I prove I went out to Dick Green's place in that three, four hours not accounted for. Anyhow, you can show where you got the ten thousand dollars you paid the bank, said Bob, hopefully. A moment of silence. Then Crawford spoke. No, son, I can't tell that either. Faint and breathless with suspense, Joyce looked at her father with dilated eyes. Why not? Because the money was loaned to me on those conditions. But, but, don't you see, Dad? If you don't tell that... They'll think I'm guilty. Well, I reckon they'll have to think it, Joy. Steady gray eyes looked straight into the brown ones of the girl. I've been in this country boy and man for most fifty years. Anyone that's willing to think me a cold-blooded murderer at this date, why, he's welcome to hold any opinion he pleases. I don't give a damn what he thinks. But we've got to prove. No, we haven't. They've got to do the proving. The law holds me innocent till I'm found guilty. But you don't aim to keep still and let a lot of miscreants blacking your good name, suggested Hart. You bet I don't, Bob, but I reckon I'll not break my word to a friend either especially under the circumstances this money was loaned. He'll release you when he understands, 
cried Joyce. Don't bank on that, honey, Crawford said slowly. You ain't to mention this. I'm telling you three private. He can't come out and tell that he let me have the money. Understand? You don't any of you know a thing about how I come by that ten thousand. I refuse to answer questions about that money. That's my business. Oh, but, Dad, you can't do that. You'll have to give an explanation. You'll have to— The best explanation I can give, Joy, is to find out who held up the stage and killed Tim Harrigan. It's the only one that'll satisfy me. It's the only one that will satisfy my friends. That's true, said Sanders. Steve Russell's bringing horses, said Bob. We'll ride out to the bend tonight and be ready for business there at the first streak of light. Must be some trail left by the hold-ups. Crawford shook his head. Probably not. Applegate had a posse out there right away. You know Applegate. He'd blunder if he had a chance. His boys have milled all over the place and destroyed any trail that was left. We'll go out anyhow, Dave and Steve and I won't do any harm we're liable to discover something don't you reckon maybe so who's that knocking on the door joy someone was rapping on the front door imperatively the girl opened it to let into the hall a man in greasy overalls where's mr crawford he demanded excitedly here in the sitting-room what's wrong wrong not a thing he talked as he followed joyce to the door of the room except that number three's come in the biggest gusher I ever see. She's knocked the whole superstructure galley west, and she's rip-rarin' to beat the Dutch. Emerson Crawford leaped to his feet, for once visibly excited. What? he demanded. What's that? Just like I say, the oil's spoutin' up a hundred feet like a fan. Before morning, the sump holes will be full, and she'll be runnin' all over the prairie. Burns sent you? Yep. Says for you to get men and teams and scrapers and gunny sacks and heavy timbers out there right away. Many as you can sand. Crawford turned to Bob, his face aglow. Your job, Bob. Spread the news. Rustle up everybody you can get. Arrange with the railroad grade contractor to let us have all his men, teams, and scrapers till we get her hog-tied and harnessed. Big wages and we'll feed the whole outfit free. Hire anybody you can find. Buy a couple of hundred shovels and send them out to number three. Get Robinson to move his tent restaurant out there. Hart nodded. What about this job at the band? He asked in a low voice. Dave and I'll tend to that. You hump on the jackpot job. Sons, we're rich, all three of us. Point is, keep from losing that crude on the prairie. Keep three shifts going till she's under control. Well, we can't do anything at the bend till morning, said Dave. We better put the night in helping Bob. Sure, we've got to get all Malapi busy. A dozen businessmen have got to come down and open up their stores so as we can get supplies, agreed Emerson. Joyce, her face flushed and eager, broke in. Ring the fire bell. That's the quickest way. Sure enough, you've got a hate on your shoulders. Dave, you attend to that. Bob, hit the dust for the big saloons and gather men. I'll see O'Connor about the railroad outfit. Then I'll come down to the firehouse and talk to the crowd. We'll wake this old town up tonight, sons. What about me? asked the messenger. You go back and tell Jed to hold the fort till Hart and his material arrives. Outside, they met Russell riding down the road, two saddled horses following. 
With a word of explanation, they helped themselves to his mounts while he stared after them in surprise. "'I'll be doggoned if they all ain't three gents in a hurry,' he murmured to the breezes of the night. "'Well, seeing as I've been held up, I reckon I'll have to walk back while the hoss-thieves ride.' Five minutes later the fire-bell clanged out its call to Malapi. From roadside tent and gambling hall, from houses and campfires, men and women poured into the streets. For Malapi was a shell town, tightly packed and inflammable, likely to go up in smoke whenever a fire should get beyond control of the volunteer company. Almost in less time than it takes to tell it, the square was packed with hundreds of lightly clad people and other hundreds just emerging from the night life of the place. The clangor of the bell died away, but the firemen did not run out the hose and bucket cart. The man tugging the rope had told them why he was summoning the citizens. "'Someone's got to go out and explain to the crowd,' said the fire chief to Dave. "'If you know about this strike, you'll have to tell the boys.' "'Crawford said he'd talk,' answered Sanders. "'He ain't here. It's up to you. Go ahead. Just tell him why you rang the bell.' Dave found himself pushed forward to the steps of the courthouse a few yards away. He had never before attempted to speak in public, and he had a queer dry tightening of the throat. But as soon as he began to talk, the words he wanted came easily enough. "'Jackpot number three has come in a big gusher,' he said, lifting his voice so that it would carry to the edge of the crowd. Hundreds of men in the crowd owned stock in the jackpot properties. At Dave's words a roar went up into the night. Men shouted, danced, or merrily smiled according to their temperament. Presently the thirst for news dominated the enthusiasm. Gradually the uproar was stilled. Again Dave's voice rang out, clear as the bell he had been tolling. The report is that it's one of the biggest strikes ever known in the state. The derrick has been knocked to pieces and the oil shooting into the air a hundred feet. A second great shout drowned his words. This was an oil crowd. It dreamed oil, talked oil, thought oil, prayed for oil. A stranger in the town was likely to feel at first that the place was oil mad. What else can be said of a town with derricks built through its front porches and even the graveyard leased to a drilling company? The sump holes are filling, went on Sanders. Soon the oil will be running to waste on the prairie. We need men, teams, tools, wagons, hundreds of slickers, tents, beds, grub. The wages will be one fifty a day more than the run of wages in the camp until the emergency has been met, and Emerson Crawford will board all the volunteers who come out to dig. The speaker was lost again, this time in a buzz of voices of excited men, but out of the hubbub Dave's shout became heard. All the owners of teams and tools, all the dealers in hardware and groceries are asked to step to the right-hand side of the crowd for a talk with Mr. Crawford. Men willing to work till the gusher is under control, please meet Bob Hart in front of the firehouse. I'll see any cooks and restaurant men alive to a chance to make money fast right here at the steps. "'Good medicine, son,' boomed Emerson Crawford, slapping him on the shoulder. "'Didn't know you was an orator, but you sure got this crowd going. Bob here yet?' "'Yes, I saw him a minute ago in the crowd. Sorry I had to make promises for you, but the fire chief wouldn't let me keep the crowd waiting. Someone had to talk. "'Suits me. I'll run you for Congress one of these days.' Then, 
I'll send the grocery men over to you. Tell them to get the grub out tonight. If the restaurant men don't buy it, I'll run my own chuck wagon outfit. See you later, Dave. For the next twenty-four hours, there was no night in Malapi. Streets were filled with shoutings, hurried footfalls, the creaking of wagons, and the thud of galloping horses. Stores were lit up and filled with buyers. For once the gusher and the oil pool and other resorts held small attractions for the crowds. The town was moving out to see the big new discovery that was to revolutionize its fortunes with the opening of a new and tremendously rich field. Every ancient rig available was pressed into service to haul men or supplies out to the jackpot location. Scarcely a minute passed after the time that the first team took the road without a loaded wagon packed to the sideboards moving along the dusty road into the darkness of the desert. Three travelers on horseback rode in the opposite direction. Their destination was Cottonwood Bend. Two of them were Emerson Crawford and David Sanders. The third was an oil prospector who had been a passenger on the stage when it was robbed. End of chapter 22